Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Redeemer Radio 95.7 Sports Summer Series. I'm Angel DiCarlo, Jacob Morris, a former Redeemer Radio 95.7 high school intern, now a junior-to-be at Syracuse University, joining us here for the Summer Series all along. And then at the bottom of your screen, on the other side of the screen, I should say, you see Nico Cavadas, the Penn High grad and Notre Dame baseball uh, superstar and All-American Joining us here, Nico, uh, congratulations on an awesome career at Notre Dame. Uh, to hear your name associated with All-American, uh, what's that like for you? Um, I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, right now, uh, I was so focused on getting our team to Omaha that, like, as these things started to come out and, uh, like, these polls came out as an All-American and we had just lost, like it, it didn't mean a whole lot, but it, it lo meant a lot more to my dad than it did to me. So it's pretty cool to be associated with a bunch of players that are, have had the success in college uh, that they've had. And, you know, Anj mentioned obviously some of the individual success that you achieved this year. Going back to last season, you're named a captain. You guys start hot right out of the gates, 11 and two, and then the season's cut short because of COVID-19. What did losing that season to the pandemic, how special did that make this whole run this year for you and the team as a whole? Yeah, that was really, really frustrating. Um, this team had uh, underperformed, I guess you could say, in my freshman and sophomore year because we were extremely talented, but we were 24 and 32 years in a row, and that was really disappointing. Um, so to get out to the 11 and two start that we got out to, it was something that we definitely saw as a possibility for us and something that we knew we were capable of, but the rest of the world really didn't. Um, so to see that season cut short was, was really frustrating in its own right, because like a lot of people were out there saying that, you know, it was a fluke that, you know, our sweep of North Carolina on the road was uh, just a fluke and, and they played poorly and we happened to get hot. So to keep things rolling like we did and to come out this year and really make a statement and put Notre Dame back on the map uh, as a college baseball powerhouse was really, really cool. And it was a really special thing to be a part of. You know, you say rest of the world didn't, but even Michiana, right? I mean, you know, those first two years, the attendance at games wasn't exactly the strongest. Then last year, you, you, you guys, you know, you get canceled early this year. You don't even get to play in front of a crowd. And then all of a sudden you're hosting that regional and you've got, it seems like everybody there. It's that first activity that you get to do together. What was the regional like to have that atmosphere in South Bend hosting a regional when you didn't get to play in front of anyone all year? Yeah, it was really cool. Um, it was cool as a team to play in front of that type of crowd that was, you know, supporting us. Uh, my freshman year, I opened up at LSU, 13,700 attendance record. You know, the super regional that we played at Mississippi State was you know, 14,300. So to see those crowds and to have them be against you, uh, it's it's really powerful. So to have that type of crowd be at our backs was really, really cool. And it was really special for me individually because I had guys like Nolan Metcalf and Ryan Lau and Trevor Waite and all these types of guys in attendance who I had grown up playing with my entire life and, and they were there to support me right down the right field line, right next to first base. So that was really, really special for me as an individual. You know, you guys were, were very vocal about, you know, thinking you guys deserved a top eight seed for good reason. And and kind of, you know, piggybacking off of Anja's question, just what did it mean to show up and, and really show out the way you guys did in a dominant fashion in the regional um, in South Bend? Yeah, we were beyond disappointed not to have received a national seed. Um, and I think that the College World Series kind of validated everything that we yep. did. And um, 
kind of proved that I think we still like looking back on it, we're one of the top five teams in the nation. And we ran into a really, really hot Mississippi state team in the supers, but to win the ACC by four and a half games and to have Virginia go out and win a couple games in the college world series and to have NC state be knocking on the doorstep. And those were teams that we were two and one and three and one against, and we won the conference by four and a half games. So to not be named a national seed was, in my mind, slightly disrespectful. And I think that that really lit a fire underneath us into the regional. And I think that's how you created that 50 to five run differential against some really, really talented teams. All right. Uh, I was going to talk about Mississippi state now, but you mentioned the 50 to five and the absurdity of the way you guys dominated a really performance that nobody sees in college baseball. And then individually you were bombing home runs left and right to have that feeling of taking your team. Uh, you weren't the only one bombing home runs. Everyone was, you guys scored 50 runs. Um, you know, how did, could you believe how well you guys played in those, in those games? The, did you even surprise yourselves? I guess I should say with how much you dominated that regional. Um, we were content and we were proud of what we've done, but I don't think we were surprised at all. Um, okay. The week of practice that we had, leading up to that was unbelievable. Um, the focus and the concentration from everyone, like we were locked in and we were ready to play our best baseball on the biggest stage. And I think that's just a testament to the coaching staff and the job they've done there creating uh, the culture that they've had in the last two years. I think um, that's the way that we expected to perform. We were facing like top level ACC arms all year and putting up some pretty good offensive numbers. So um, to face some really talented arms like Andrew Taylor and Ben Kasperius, it, it was it was a challenge, but it was nothing that we hadn't seen. And that was a standard that we had held ourselves to. And we expected to go out and score 50 runs in three games. You know, Anj mentioned the individual success you had in that regional, and that came after you know, an ACC tournament where you finished with eight consecutive strikeouts and, you know, you had a tough time, but you turned it around so quickly and the team turned it around so quickly. What went into that from an individual perspective and, you know, shifting your mindset and coming out and performing the way you did in the regional? Yeah. So I was on like a, like a one for 25 with 22 strikeout stretch there towards the end of the year. <laughs> and I think, um, I had a really poor game at Valpo before we left for, uh, Virginia Tech and I kind of just wrote it off like that was a fluke you know like my swing is fine um carry that into Virginia Tech and then once we got to Virginia Tech and we were a couple games in I was like something's gone awry um but unfortunately we didn't have the ability to go home and to access our cages and the amenities that we have and the video that we have and uh, the technology that we have. So I think being on the road for two consecutive weeks and playing six or seven games in a row on the road was really difficult for me because I didn't have uh, our facilities at Notre Dame to help kind of flip that switch and uh, understand where things went wrong. So I had a week there between the ACC tournament and our regional where I was at home and I was looking at video and I was able to get work in before and after practice with different coaches and different, different swing stuff. And I think that I came out like really, really confident. Um, because I felt like I'd put my swing now in a position where it was prior to get, getting into that little lull. Um, so I think that being able to host that regional gave us a couple extra days uh, to tune ourselves up and to use those amenities, which was, I think it made a world of difference. What was your reaction when you were told you were going to get dropped to sixth in the lineup? Um, to be honest, I was surprised it hadn't happened sooner. Um, I used it again to light a fire underneath me. I was obviously frustrated by it and slightly embarrassed by it. Um, every time I step between the lines, I think I'm the best player uh, between the lines. So to see myself in the sixth hole and to be 
called out like on the six hole over the loudspeaker. It definitely was a chip on my shoulder that I used. And uh, to stay there after hitting two home runs in game two was like, dang, he's, he still doesn't have the confidence in me and, and I don't blame him. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure was, he had the confidence in you, Nico. He probably was just like, you know what? It's working down here. I'm going to make him stay motivated down here. Yeah. And my big thing was, I, I really appreciated that coach Jared came and talked to me in the morning and he was like, listen, uh, like I'm going to move you to the six hole. Like I don't, it's no disrespect to you. Um, I just think that we need to change some things up. We got Pete pretty bad by Virginia. I'm going to get the, some guys who run well at the top of the lineup and try and put some pressure on them there. And hopefully they'll be on base for you when you're down in the six. And like, I think the fact that he had that conversation with me, um, was like really respectful of him. And it made it so much easier for me to stomach the idea that I'm being dropped in the order as a senior captain, you know? You touched on the the super regional at Mississippi State and and the amount of fans there and both games one and two broke both broke the previous attendance record for a super regional and you mentioned how tough it is to have that many fans against you with the cowbells and everything ringing. Can you in some way try to put it in perspective for somebody like Anj and I how tough it is to play in an atmosphere like that, but also how special it is, especially given the limited attendance throughout the season. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, it's something that Coach Jarrett had prepared us for the entire year. He told us all throughout the entire year, you know, at some point this year, we're going to be playing in Omaha or somewhere else where you're not going to be able to hear the guy next to you. So believe it or not, he put in like this system where we could communicate with one another and where we could communicate with the coaches without, you know, using words. So there were hand gestures that we had for every single thing that we needed to communicate to one another. And they played a really big role. Um, me and Jared Miller are playing first and second and we're 60 feet away from one another, you know, signaling things because we can't have a conversation and the ball goes in the air and people are screaming ball, ball, ball 85 times at the top of their lungs because unless someone's right on top of you, you really can't hear them. So it was a it was a special environment and they've got something really, really cool down there in Starkville. Game one, you guys got off to a great start and then it kind of falls apart. How 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 much does that pain stick with you? Um, because of obviously how the season ended up and how that series ended up? Um, it's definitely difficult. Um, I think I was more over it going into game two than I am now looking over it from 30,000 feet. Um, I feel like that's a series that we absolutely could have and should have won in two games and should have punched our ticket to Omaha. So that's really difficult. But I think being in the moment and, um, you know, playing game one and then knowing, listen, we've got to bounce back for game two really helps you get over it and move past it. Because if you don't, there's no way you come back and there's no way you beat a team like Mississippi State on their home field. You touched a little bit uh, earlier about how important it was to you to returning Notre Dame to being, you know, a, a force in college baseball. And, you know, over the past four years, you've started 152 games. You've been in almost, it seems, every circumstance possible. Again, just that Mississippi State series and the season as a whole validated what you guys had done. And what did it mean in your senior season, even if you didn't reach the end goal, To what did it mean to bring Notre Dame back to national prominence? Yeah, I think something we always talk about is leave things better than when you got there. Um, so I think that that's something that me and all the seniors can hang our hats on in that, you know, when we showed up, this team was 24 and 30. This team had really been underperforming. So uh, to leave the program where we feel like it's in a much better place than it was when, when we showed up, that's that's really special. And it's something that we hang our hats on as a class. 
Nico, I, I, I don't joke when I say this, but it's a, it's a serious statement when, you know, the pandemic was starting and they were talking about Stanford cutting programs and all these type of things. And you're like, well, if Stanford can cut programs. Anyone might. Right. And honestly, I honestly believe Notre Dame baseball was if Notre Dame had to do it, they could have been the one because it was just so stale for so long. So to make that kind of jump from where you guys now, granted, you guys had a really good year. But as you mentioned, no one really noticed because it got cut short. Right. Um, Did can you put in perspective where you how far you guys feel you've come from maybe when you got to Notre Dame to to where you are right now? Like how different that feeling in, in the program is of of what you guys have achieved? Yeah, I touched on the culture earlier, but I think it is just a testament to the culture that Coach Jarrett's put in. Um, I think that the talent has always been there. My freshman year, we had, you know, three draft picks and Cole Daly, Eric, uh, Nick Podkel, and Matt Veerling, who are all doing incredible things at the next level, but we were only able to muster up 24 wins. And I think a large part of that was we were going into every weekend, like, hoping to scratch one across and hoping to come home with a win. And under Coach Jarrett, like, he just instills this confidence in us that, Every time we step between the lines, we believe that we're the better team and that if we play our game, there's no one in the country that can beat us. And I think that mixed with the talent that he's gone out and recruited and the talent that he's developed, I think each and every one of us as seniors have seen drastic improvements from our sophomore year to where we are now. And I'm so thankful for the job that he's done and the culture shift that's happened because once again, we're in a much better place than, than where, we, where we started. You mentioned Coach Jarrett and the immediate impact he had when he came to the program. It's obviously a bit of a tough question to answer, but where do you envision the program going under his leadership, especially given how successful you guys were under his uh, under his coaching his first two years? Yeah, I don't think there's a ceiling. I think that this is a program that can win national championships and that can build a dynasty. Um, he has the ability to recruit really high level players. And once he gets them on campus, I don't think there's anyone in the country that's better than coach Jarrett and coach Wallace and coach Wingo at developing that talent. Uh, So when you, when you uh, couple, you know, the recruiting with the development, like that's, that's how you create those tier one programs, those programs that are successful every single year, regardless of how many guys they lose to the draft or anything like that. Um, So I think that there is no ceiling to, to how successful this program can be. Do you worry about whether or not he sticks around long term? Uh, because obviously there was already the speculation that he was in the hunt potentially for LSU. He said he's definitely coming back next year. And, and that's great for Notre Dame that they have him back in 2022. But do you fear that <laughs> these SEC schools are going to be calling real soon if he continues this success? Absolutely. That's something to fear. But I know Coach Jarrett and he looked at us and he said, listen, like my name's being thrown around there, but Notre Dame is a really, really special place. And I think he hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, if I'm not being thrown into, you know, these coaching job names, then I'm not doing something right. You know, then I'm not taking our program in the direction that it needs to go. So I think that the fact that he's being thrown around in all of these coaching decisions and all these coaching hires is just once again, a testament to the job that he's done here and the job that I think he'll continue to do here over the next, however many years. What makes him such a good coach? He never stops. He is so baseball minded and so analytical and he analyzes every single thing we do. Um, I remember the first time we ever 
like took infield outfield before a game. He was like telling catchers, you know, which pockets to put baseballs in so that they were more accessible if things go awry. Like he, he is such a great baseball mind and he never shuts it off. I'll be sitting at home with a couple of my teammates watching, you know, the Rays play and uh, G-Man Choi will make a pick and we'll be like, oh, that was like a great play. And, you know, lo and behold, 15 seconds later, I get a text from Coach Jarrett. Like, did you see G-Man Choi's foot? like footwork there like he never stops thinking baseball and I think it's what makes him so special you mentioned you know just the culture shift that occurred once he arrived how did he lay the groundwork of that when he took over and obviously there were some really talented players on the team like you said and how did he go about shifting that culture in a way that really provided immediate results yeah uh, there was absolutely no dilly-dallying um when he got the job, he immediately flew out to Cape Cod and he met with the four of us, I think, that were out in Cape Cod with me, Joe Boyle, Tommy Valen, Tommy Sheehan. And, excuse me, he uh, he looked us right in the eye and we like expected it to be a little meet and greet type thing. And he said, Nico, what does this program need to be successful? And I was like, wow, like he's here, he's ready, and he's doing everything in his power to make this program successful right now. Because he didn't look at it like, you know, I've got three, three years, four years to turn things around. He looked at it like this needs to happen right now from the get-go. And I think that that made all the difference. Do you think he should be a national coach of the year? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. There's no one that's been as influential to their program as Coach Jared has to ours. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I, and you would obviously say yes. I mean, there's no way you weren't going to say yes, but I figured I'd throw it out there anyway. Um, I did want to ask you about Mississippi State winning the national championship. Does that make it easier to bear that you lost to, to the team that won it all? Does it make it harder because you can clearly envision yourself being the national champions? Yeah, it, both of those things. Um, I think it does make it easier in the fact that it validates our season and what we were able to achieve on the field. But it is difficult because we're watching them and we know that that's a team that we competed with down to the very last out. And they kind of really dominated their way through that, through Omaha. Um, and we knew like watching them that like that's something that we could have done had we played better in game one, had we played better in game three. Uh, so it is really difficult, but also it's nice because it, it validates our season and the success that we had. Moving forward, you know, just in terms of the ACC, you know, you guys had a really successful season winning the regular season title and just looking at college baseball as a whole, obviously with the SEC being as powerful as it is, was it encouraging to see teams like Notre Dame, teams like NC State have the success they did on the national scale? And again, showing that, teams of that matter teams from the conference can belong and compete at the highest level. Absolutely. I think that we are a top tier baseball conference and I don't think that we get the recognition of being a top tier baseball conference. So to see, you know, NC state go out and beat Arkansas and beat Vanderbilt and to have us compete with Mississippi state the way we did. And I think uh, Virginia won some big games, whether it was Tennessee or Texas, I don't really remember, but they won big games against power five opponents. And so I think that that should spark, some sort of controversy and hopefully put the ACC uh, a little higher in the minds of those decision makers in the future. We, we've talked a lot about the team. I want to talk a little bit about you individually. You mentioned earlier, you know, when you step inside that box, you feel you're the best player in the country. When did you realize you were this good? When did it, when did it click to you 
uh, you know what? Actually, I'm pretty darn good at this. Um, I think in seventh or eighth grade, um, I was like watching a college baseball game and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, we're this far apart. Me and that guy who's hitting 330 with 15 home runs right now. Um, and I don't think that that like mechanically like clicked with me until after my sophomore season. Um, but I think mentally, like right then and there, I was watching like South Carolina play and I'm like, I think I'm that dude. Um, and so I think that that was something that I took with me to work every single day and something that kind of drove me to be the player that I am today. And whether that clicked physically or not, didn't really happen until my junior season, but mentally I, I felt that way for, you know, eight, nine years now. So much of baseball is a mental game. And I think it's a, it's a great, we're talking about the stretch you had during the ACC tournament to turning it around so quickly in the NCAA tournament. Um, what, what can you take from that? And how are you able to, you know, stay mentally strong in that regard and have the confidence that you do? Because stretches like that are going to happen in baseball, right? And how have you been able to develop the mental fortitude to be able to go through and make changes like that? Um, I think that we fall back to the level of our preparation. Um, so when things like that happen where, you know, you run into a string of failures, all you can do is kind of sit back and, and think about have I done everything I can to prepare myself for this moment. And when I work as hard as I do, and I know that I work as hard as I do and our team works as hard as we do, um, you know, you get into that moment and you're like, I'm prepared for this, whether the most recent results show it or not. Like I've done everything in my power uh, to be prepared for this exact moment. And that's this, all of the strength you need and all the confidence you need is knowing that you've done everything to prepare yourself for that moment. You mentioned the the mental aspect and feeling that it clicked in seventh or eighth grade, the physical aspect maybe clicking after your sophomore year. But, but at what point did you becoming a, home run hitter really click that that was going to be the case because you know you're the all-time single season record holder at Notre Dame you were as we mentioned bombing homers left and right during this entire run when did you realize you were a home run hitter um I think my my sophomore year uh summer so summer after my sophomore year so as you know, in high school, I was like a shortstop center fielder at like 205, 210 pounds. And I got to Notre Dame and immediately got on a lifting program. And, you know, five months later, I'm 240. So I think that like physically, I got the strength and the body to hit the ball out of the park at that time. But I think that mechanically um, and mentally in that summer, I led the Cape Cod League in home runs. I think I hit 10. And I think I miss hit a couple baseballs, but I spun them true and they went, you know, 30 or 40 feet out of the park. And I was like, wow, this is something that like I've kind of tapped into here with the, the swing mechanics where I don't have to swing hard. I don't have to hit 500 foot homers. If I just flick balls with proper spin, like this can be something that I can do for a living for a really, really long time. And I think these last two years have me been, have been me, you know, honing in on that and, and practicing that craft is just spinning the ball true. And I think that that's really when it clicked was summer after my sophomore year. You've talked a lot about, you know, that summer between, you know, your sophomore and your junior year and kind of bringing it all together from a mental and physical aspect. You know, it's it's tough to put into words, but 
you know, was there a moment in the Cape Cod League in the summer where it all hit you? Or is it just the summer experience as a whole where all of a sudden it was working on all aspects, not physical, not mental, but both of them? Yeah, I think if there was a moment, um, it would be about halfway through the season. We played a night game at Wareham and uh, there was a big crowd and I ended up hitting like three home runs in that game. And it was the first time in my life I'd ever had a three home run game. And that's really where it clicked where like, this is, this is what I do and this is what I'm good at. And this is something that I want to continue to do for as long as I can. And this plays off of that answer, but also maybe one of Jake's very first questions about the pandemic cutting you guys short last year. You know, when that happens for you individually, what's the mindset of like, I, I, I was starting, I'm really clicking here. And how much did that really like mentally maybe fry you a little bit about, you know, worrying about whether or not the physical aspect was going to go away because you weren't getting those reps in that you were expecting to get and things were really starting to click. Yeah. Um, if I'm being completely transparent, um, I didn't anticipate coming back for a senior season. Um, I think that uh, the, resume, if you will, that I had put together over my first three years had warranted going in uh, to the draft, you know, to be drafted. Um, so I didn't anticipate having the opportunity to come back for my senior year. And I got a couple calls um, late in that draft. And the offers that were made to me were like embarrassing. And it was, I was really disappointed. And that was a some fuel that I used. And I came back with a chip on my shoulder. And I think the biggest thing I did is I I use that as an opportunity and not as a piece of failure in that, you know, yeah, things didn't go the way I wanted to, but I have an opportunity to turn things around and I have an opportunity to make every team that passed on me, you know, pay for that mistake. And we as a unit have the opportunity to do something really special that Notre Dame hasn't done since 2002. And that's kind of a conversation that I had with my fellow captain, Jared Miller, as I had talked about, you know, what had happened and how disappointed I was. And he had talked to me about like, yeah, like that's disappointing, but like look at the opportunities that we have and look at um, how special this run can be uh, now that you're back and now that we have, you know, guys coming back that we didn't anticipate having back. So I think that was the biggest thing. So to then decide to come back and have the season that you had, both as a team and individually in your hometown, can you put that in perspective for us? Um, it's difficult. Um, it's so special. That's something, you know, being a baseball player at Notre Dame is something I've dreamed about since I was five or six years old. You know, I used to go out and watch Aaron Heilman and Jeff Samarja pitch out of here. So, um, just to be in that conversation to begin with is really, really special. Um, but to have the season that we had and to personally have the season that I was able to put together, it's, it's really, really special. And it's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Transitioning now with the draft next month, you know, what has been your perspective, you know, kind of finishing the season as you did and how, how has it looked in terms of prepping for the draft in terms of coming off of that season and, and what are you looking to do in between now and, and now coming up here, um, the draft? Yeah, I don't think I left anything on the table this year. Um, I don't think I left anything in the tank. I think I did everything that I possibly could uh, to put myself in position to you know, capitalize on the draft. Um, so I think from that standpoint, there's a, a little bit of inner peace that comes with that um, in that I did what I could on the field. I did what I could off the field. 
Um, at this point, it's just, you know, what mold do I fit in? Um, so I think, you know, being a power hitting left-hander, like that's, you know, some positives and, and having the um, defensive, uh, you know, constraints that I have, I say, I think is, is the thing holding me back from being, you know, at the very, very top of that draft board. But, you know, to go into this year and have the year that I had, I think that there's nothing more that I could have done to set myself up for the draft. Is there a particular round that you're capping yourself at that if you don't go by this certain point, you're, you're going to be annoyed and it's going to be another chip on the old shoulder for, for Nico Cavadas. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a round where if it gets Are you going to tell us? Uh, no, I am not. <laughs> there, I have a number in my head and if it falls to that point, I'm going to be, I'm going to be really, really frustrated and it'll be another chip on the shoulder for sure. But I'm right, Jake. My options open. We can't get it out of him, though. He won't tell us the round. We, we, we can't get it out. That's all right. Well, come on, Nico. Just tell us why. Why you got to put the pressure on all those teams to make sure they give it. <laughs> they they call you by then. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's a smart guy, Jake. He ain't gonna smart. Do. So if you're making a pitch to whatever major league team and whatever round that might be, or whatever round before that might be, what are they getting if they draft Nico Cavadas? Um, I think you're getting someone who, you know, raises the level of everyone on the field. Um, you know, I, I hold myself and I hold my teammates to the highest of standards. And I think that that's shown itself over these last four years. And additionally, I think you're getting someone who can compete in the big leagues right now offensively and is, you know, an off season or two away from of defensive work from being in that position and from being able to help a major league ball club win some ball games. All right, we spoke about seventh, eighth grade. You're watching South Carolina, and you're like, I can be that guy. But now we're talking about a whole nother level ahead. Did you ever, growing up, obviously everyone dreams of being that big league guy, but did you actually, when you're maybe a junior at Penn, think, yeah, I can make it to the majors? You saw, you know, you, you had a teammate that obviously it it did very well for himself and Skylar Sinski to 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 get drafted very high, but did you ever say to yourself, no, I, I, it can be me as well. I can, I can be a major league baseball player. Absolutely. No doubt. Um, I think it was my sophomore year, um, maybe freshman year of high school. And, you know, I, my dad went to IU and we grew up big IU fans. So we went down there one game to watch Kyle Schwarber and Sam Travis play. And, you know, Schwarber hit this ball at, to Schwarber's pole, which is like 420 feet away and right center. And uh, I kind of like really started to like Schwarber then, you know, he's a Midwest guy. He's a left-handed power bat, stocky build. Um, and when he went to my favorite team, the Cubs and helped us win a world series in 2016, I think that I, I really started to emulate my game after Schwarber being that, you know, stocky left-handed power bat. And I think watching him play live, I absolutely like, that wasn't something that was out of my powers. Doing what he did was not something that I looked at as something I couldn't do. Um, so I think that that was really instrumental in you know, providing the confidence for me going into college baseball. You talked about being able to compete offensively at that level right now. Plain and simple, what separates you and what makes you the power bat, the offensive talent that you are, and, and what sets you apart in that way and makes you ready to compete right now? Um, I think the brute strength is something that, uh, like naturally I was kind of gifted. Um, I think like I touched on before, like I have 
this ability to just kind of flick baseballs. And I don't necessarily have to barrel a baseball. I don't have to crush a baseball for it to backspin out of the park. So I think that that gives me a little larger range of motion and uh, margin for error in that uh, I can swing it, you know, 60, 70% with two strikes and I can set my eyes to a position and hit a ball that's not even in the strike zone out of the ballpark. And I think that that's something that I've really harnessed and something that I've focused on over the last couple of years. And it's something that translates uh, to the direction that the game is going right now. And that, you know, strikeout numbers are increasing and home runs are being valued now more than ever. And I think that that really plays into my game and I can, I'm a force to be reckoned with offensively. Uh, Obviously every guy wants to not be the next so-and-so they want to be, you want to be the next Nico Cavadas, right? But you threw out Schwarber's name. I remember reading coach Jarrett, mentioning Big Poppy's name as someone to compare you to in terms of the swing. Um, who do you kind of – who have, have you studied their actual swings, you know, those guys individually or other guys um, to model yourself after that, that has gotten you to be at this level? Yeah, throughout high school, I really liked Adrian Gonzalez. Um, he was with the Dodgers, and he had, like, the sweetest, prettiest left-handed swing. It looked so rhythmic and so, so free. Um, that, you know, I would put side by sides of me and Adrian Gonzalez and like, this is, these are things that look similar, you know, I fit into the envelope here, but these are some differences we have. And these are some things I need to work through. And I think that um, that was a really good, like starting point for me in high school. And in college, I kind of branched away from trying to emulate one singular person and trying to find out who I am. And I kind of made that transition from, you know, I want to be Adrian Gonzalez to I know who Nico Cavadas is and I know how good he can be. Let's go. Go ahead, Jake. No, go ahead. Let's go. Let's go back to your days at Penn. Obviously, it was an awesome run. You win a state championship uh, as a sophomore, and you guys come up a little bit short as a senior. But but a fabulous run, nevertheless. On you know what has been an outstanding program. Take us back to those days and and how much being a Penn Kingsman has led you to the point where you're at now. Yeah, I think it goes back even further than that. Um, I played with, you know, Ryan Lau and Trevor Waite and Matt Kamikiewicz and Nolan Metcalf and all of the guys that were instrumental in that run. We started playing together at eight years old, at seven years old, and we would play, you know, 50, 60, 70 games a year throughout the summer. And I think that we built that chemistry and that bond, and that's where everything started. So I, I take so much pride in that group of guys and those relationships and friendships that I've built that will carry with me for the rest of my life. And I, and I couldn't be more thankful for the group of guys and what we were able to accomplish. How does a season like winning a state championship compare to the season you just had? Obviously, this is a much larger scale, but, you know, it was obviously a lot. Both are a lot of fun. How do you how in your mind do those seasons kind of compare? I think they're really similar um, in that we were both we were the underdogs and people kind of looked at us as, you know, they're not as good as they think they are type thing where we were like the 17th ranked team in the state preseason my sophomore year. And I think that's something that lit a fire under us because we knew how good we could be. Um, And we knew, you know, anytime Skyler towed the rubber that there was a really good opportunity for us to win a game. Um, And I think that's the same mentality we took, you know, at Notre Dame this year is our roster, you know, you compare us roster to roster and, you know, all of these uh, people that are out there, you know, 
looking at college baseball, like they're not as talented. They're not as gifted. They don't have the natural and physical gifts to compete with these teams, but you know, they walk away from that series and the Irish are three and zero, or the Irish are two and one. And I think that, you know, being that underdog and having the success that we have make those two years that we had so comparable. When, when you look at, you know, your career as a whole at Penn, you know, you win the state championship, your sophomore year, make it to the semifinal, your junior year, you make it to the final, your senior year. How far did that go in terms of just building a winning mentality within you and something that you could apply and bring to Notre Dame and eventually turning around that program as well? Yeah, I think um, that by whatever means necessary, find a way to win the game. Um, I think it's a, a, you know, mentality that we developed, again, at seven, eight years old, where it's me and mine versus you and yours. And no matter what else is going on, extraneously you know it's it's these nine innings these seven innings that happen right now that's going to separate us and we're going to find a way to beat you whether that's you know things that are flashy like the long ball or you know whether that's some two strike hitting you know like we I think we developed a lot of grit and a lot of guile uh over those you know 10 12 years so I think that's something that I brought with me to Notre Dame was it's it's not you know the hero that makes the hero play it's the guy who you know puts his neck on the line for the team that is able to come through. You had an excellent high school career and obviously you've had an excellent college career, but that didn't necessarily guarantee you a spot at Notre Dame. You, you, you kind of, you had to really, really begged it almost seems like to, to get there, take us back to those days and being one of the last guys really, that was, that was taken onto this team. Uh, kind of crazy to think about it back then, but you know, you almost never made it to, to Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, I would go to all of the camps and I really wanted to play for Notre Dame. As I said before, I grew up watching Notre Dame baseball and I always wanted to be a part of that program. Um, so I was going to do everything in my power to get there. And, um, you know, I didn't have an offer and they had, you know, 10, 12 guys in the class. And um, I sat down and I was pretty much offered like a preferred walk on spot. And I think that right then and there, I was like, absolutely. Like, this is the place for me. Like, that's all of the invite that I needed to come put, you know, my stamp on Notre Dame baseball. So there was, really, you, you started as a preferred walk-on? I didn't even remember that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So at what point did you get the scholarship? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. It didn't come till later. Well, your parents probably know you better. You, they they probably know a little bit, but that that is crazy. I, I think I forgot about that, that you had started as a walk on and here you are an all American. I mean. Isn't that crazy, Nico, to when you think about this now? Yeah. Um, you know, looking at it from 30,000 feet again and in retrospect, it's it's pretty special, but it's something that I never like put out of the question, something that I always knew I was capable of and confident that I was going to, you know, make happen. How do you maintain confidence like that when, you know, you're, you get a preferred walk on spot, you could have gone somewhere else and possibly had a spot right away or whatever it might be. How do you maintain confidence in yourself as abstract of a question as that is that you're going to reach a level where eventually you might be a first team all American? Um, I was going to leave no stone left unturned at Notre Dame. Um, I was going to give every ounce of effort that I had at every given moment. And, you know, my freshman fall, I went in there and I was the last guy, one of the last guys in the class. And I think I hit like 070 in the fall. And I was sitting there like something needs to change. You know, I'm going to get cut. 
Um, and so that winter, we had a three-week break, and I was in the cages every single day except for, I think, Christmas. And um, I was working with the swimming coach at the time, Jesse Woods, and we implemented a few new techniques and went toe heel and got back on top of the baseball. And I think I came out and hit like 460 in our, in our little like uh, winter ball prior to going out. And I was in the opening day uh, roster in either the five or the six spot uh, as a preferred walk on. So I think that just understanding that, you know, like things aren't going the way I want them to right now, but I refuse to be outworked. Um, you know, cause that's one thing that you can always control is your effort level. And baseball is a game where there are so many uncontrollables. You can do absolutely everything right and line out to the, to the center fielder, you know, but you can always control your effort and you can always control the, the time that you put into the game. And I think that the game has a way of rewarding you when you do put that effort in that time. in. it's a different period of time, but from that freshman ball to winter ball, can did you use that mindset at all in terms of what you achieved there when you were in this slump, you know, just before, you know, NCAAs were starting to be like, hey, I can turn it around. I've done this in the past. Here's how I can how I can turn around. Absolutely. Yeah, I was in the cages every day. You know, it's December 24th and I'm like, I'm the only one, you know, that's doing this right now. Like no one deserves to be successful more than I do if I'm willing to put this sort of effort in. And I think that that, you know, mindset is really what gives you the confidence that you need after, you know, hitting 070 for an entire fall and trying to make that jump from high school to college to not just college, but ACC level arms. Was that work ethic always there? Was it when you were seven and eight years old, like you talked about when you were playing with all those guys, was it the same then? Did it develop some as you, as you hit pen or is this just always been there? Yeah, baseball has always been something I loved and something I've worked at. So we used to have a swing set out in my backyard and, you know, we went to Menards and bought uh, like a big net and like kind of fashioned it around the monkey bars so that I could hit, you know, into the net in the backyard whenever I wanted without having to travel out to a field. And that's just something that baseball has always been something that I've enjoyed working at. And it doesn't seem like a chore when I'm putting in the work. So I think that's why it's always been there you've played your entire career at home, you know, obviously growing up uh, at Penn at Notre Dame, what's it going to be like having to leave or are you fully anticipating the Cubs drafting you and you're going to start at four wins field and you're going to get a couple, you get a little extra out of it and uh, be at home a little bit longer. I mean, I absolutely wouldn't be opposed to playing at four wins. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think that it's a phase of my life that I'm, I'm ready for. Um, you know, I've been home for 22 years and I love South Bend and I love Granger and I love, you know, everything that this place has had to offer, but I'm ready to, to get out and to go experience the world and, you know, to play professional baseball. Jake, you got anything else? All good here. All right, Nico, to close things out, um, what are you going to miss most about playing at Notre Dame and being a Notre Dame student? You, you, you mentioned how much you loved uh, going to Notre Dame games to have that experience, putting in perspective. Um, how, how much of you, how much are you going to miss and what are you going to miss about the experience of being a Notre Dame player and student? Um, I think the thing I'm going to miss most about being a Notre Dame player um, is the fact that, you know, my parents are right here and they were able to attend every single game. Um, you know, it's, 
28 degrees and there are six people out there and you know two of them are my parents bundled up behind the press box so I think that that's something really special that I'm going to miss you know when I'm shipped off to wherever I'm shipped off to and you know as for being a Notre Dame student um, I think Notre Dame attracts a special type of person um, a person that's community oriented and that has a particular set of values and I think being you know, on a campus where you're surrounded with those people who value the same things that you do and who are just genuinely honest and good people. That's something that um, I'm really, really thankful for and that I'm going to miss a lot about this university. couple quick hitters. Favorite spot on campus? Ooh, um, I think the Danky Ballroom is a place that I had class. Um, it's really, really cool to have class and look out over Notre Dame Stadium. That is that is true. Uh NIL just started. You don't get to be a part of it. But if uh, if you did, who who do you think would have been uh, a good sponsor for uh, old Nico Cavadas? I think it's really funny you ask that because two weeks before the NIL thing passed, Barstool put out a shirt with me on it. And it is a picture from our Notre Dame website of me swinging. And below it, it just says Greek Freak. And um, they, you know, blurred my face, took off the monogram and used a nickname instead of my real name. So I receive absolutely zero compensation. Um, (laughs) Had that reform been made, you know, a few months prior, I think me and Barstool and me and Big Cat and PFT could have gotten along pretty well. Uh, Come on, Portney. You got to get him now anyway, after the fact. He's starting. He's signing everyone left and right. uh, They're little Barstool athletes for college. Maybe uh, you got to be the first pro guy then uh, coming in on that one. I thought it I thought it was going to be Big League Chew. I think that would have been a perfect for you. Hey, I'm here for it. I, I wouldn't say no. All right. Sounds good. Nico, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, obviously, that was a, a long conversation, but I think it was great to, to kind of go through your, your whole journey, both at Notre Dame and Penn. And, and, and we really appreciate you uh, taking the time, and we just want to wish you the best of luck in, in the future. Uh, you've, you've, you've beaten the odds, so to speak, numerous times. Maybe not the odds that you put on yourself, but maybe the ones everyone else has. So uh, I'm sure you're going to have bright things ahead for you in the future. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's Nico Cavadas, Jake Morris. I'm Angel DiCarlo. This is the Redeemer Radio 95.7 Sports Summer Series. A great way to kick things off. We'll have more to come in the coming days and weeks.